This is episode 105 with Chloe Molesky. Welcome to The Athletic Mindset. I'm your host, Corey Camp, former Division I swimmer turned forever athlete and your personal performance coach. Today, I sit down with Chloe, a mental performance coach who helps athletes grow into the best versions of themselves through sustainable performance habits. We got a lot of things in common here. It's a great conversation. Chloe is a former Division I runner, distance runner at Duke University and has since gone on to multiple PRs in her life, not just athletically, but in academics. She's constantly growing and stretching herself since leaving Duke. Talk about being a forever athlete here. We dive pretty deep into performance anxiety today, how to overcome it, and how to ultimately just get more flow into our lives as we are always growing. So please welcome on Chloe. Chloe, welcome to the Athletic Mindset Podcast. I appreciate you coming in here. How are you feeling today? I'm great, and I'm so excited to be here talking with you. Me too. Me too. I think it's going to be a phenomenal conversation, and we just met last week. So if it's any indication of where this episode will go, I know it's going to be a good one. I want to start off in covering your background. You ran at Duke as a track athlete. I'll preface this. I was born and raised in Maryland, so I'm not the biggest Duke fan, but I guess I'll, I'll make an exception for you. How did you get into track and field and running and exploring what your body can do in that regard? Yeah, and I get it. A lot of haters out there, so I'll, <laughs> I'll respect it. I am from New Hampshire, a small town, and I played all the sports. I, I think I mentioned this on our first call. I was actually a four-sport athlete in high school because I did not like running but they recognized that I could help them win. So I played soccer in the fall, but I also ran cross country and I would just run in the races. And then winter, I played basketball. That was always my favorite sport. And then spring was track and field. I also have three brothers and I just recognized that it's kind of heavy duty to be a a parent of athletes and driving them to all these things and paying for equipment and ice time. My brothers were hockey players and lacrosse players and football players. And I saw an avenue with running that all you needed was a pair of shoes. There was no politics involved. It's like, if you run a time, then you're fast enough. And if you don't, you're not. So I saw an avenue for me to excel and kind of get out of my small town through running. So did that. And I got a lot of uh, some scholarship offers and I ended up choosing Duke warmer weather, a basketball school. So the next best thing, if I couldn't be playing basketball, I was at a basketball school and I got there and I just choked. Like there's no other way to describe it. And I realized that a lot of it was because of mental health and all these habits that I was building up in high school to be the high achiever that I was in running in school and everything. And then you get somewhere and everyone else is a high achiever and your whole identity has gone. And I, I thought I would have more support in terms of mental health and exploring what was going wrong. And I didn't, so I just broke. And I had like a very underwhelming career. And since then, and I graduated now five or six years ago, I just spent all of that time figuring out what happened and why that happened. And, you know, a lot of mind body connection things. So, you know, I went into strength training, personal training, nutrition, and last but not least psychology. And that's kind of where the, it goes full circle. And I've, I've learned so much about myself and I'm so grateful for this journey, but it was very unexpected that this would be the next chapter of my life. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you touch on there, right? Like you can have 
all the pieces together. But if you're not, that piece in between your ears isn't in the right space, then like, who cares what you're eating and like what your workout schedule looks like? It's not going to really matter if that thing isn't in tune. And it's got to, I would imagine, be very tough coming from the small town culture environment where I would imagine you were probably the best or if not one of the best in your hometown. And then all of a sudden you're plopped in this environment at Duke where it's like, hey, guess what? All, I don't even know how big a track and field team is at that level, but I know for swimming, it was like 28 people. All of a sudden I felt not so special. Like I was not the guy anymore. And I'm, it sounds like that's kind of what you went through as well. Totally. And it was also something I experienced was, so going from being, you know, athlete of the year, all these things, and then getting into Duke and not doing well, I would also have the shame when I would come back to my hometown mm. and share like, and not like, how's Duke? How's it going? Like, is it amazing? And there was shame in a lot of areas. Like I wasn't performing well. And truthfully, like my body was changing too. Like that's huge in female sports is, you know, I'm running all these miles, but I never really looked like a distance runner. And I was really embarrassed that I didn't look that way. And I felt, yeah, I felt so many things. And I was, I was like, oh, I probably don't look the same to them anymore. There were so many thoughts and it was really hard, but I didn't, you know, share that with anyone while that was happening. Mm. How did you start to shift to this place where you're at now? Because you are open now with sharing your story, which I think is beautiful. I appreciate it. But it doesn't sound like that was always the case. What was kind of that catalyst for you that was like an aha moment? Said maybe I should share this. Maybe I should say what's on my mind. Yeah, I think it was learning myself that I'm not just an athlete. And that was always something that was really hard for me. So when I moved to Los Angeles you know, they say it's lost Angeles. And truthfully, when I first got there, I was lost and I was, but I really had to figure out who I was. And most people, there's not many Duke people out there, to be honest. So that actually was helpful to get really away from that experience. That wasn't great. Mm -hmm. So getting away from that, being in a whole new place and really getting to choose the people I surround myself when I was in LA, you know, in college, especially if you're on a sports team, you're kind of forced to be around those people. It's your team. So, and when you're an adult, there's less time, you know, you've got bills to pay things going on. So who I choose to spend my time with is much more important. And I was very careful about who those people were. And I surrounded myself with these people that allowed me to build my own confidence and see me more than just an athlete, which the craziest part and most ironic part is that it helped my overall performance and who I am as an athlete in the biggest way possible. So I, it's crazy. And I wonder if you can relate to that at all or what you think about that. No, absolutely. I think it's, it's beautiful. I think, yeah, when sport initially ends for a lot of us, we feel like lost because we're, we were given a team for so long, right? Like our parents enrolled us in that, for me, like that age group swim program. And like, I'm lucky I'm living in LA actually with two of my former teammates that we met each other through age group swimming at eight years old. And we just stayed super close throughout, but I'm not super close with every single one on that team. We were very selective now of like, who are we spending our time? And more importantly, who are we giving our energy to? Because I think there's definitely a lot of people in our lives that, you know, it's just going to be a draining kind of conversation, no matter 
what? And that's just kind of the wavelength that they're on. How did you start to filter like, and what did you start to look for when building your life team around you? I love that term. I love a life team. Yeah, that's a great term. So the exercise that I use is once I spend time with someone and I leave, I do some figure out, do some self-reflection. Am I energized or am I drained from that interaction? And, you know, mm. that can be a real tough exercise to do. And it takes a lot of self-awareness, but it can be a game changer in terms of what your what it, what the map looks like for your life and who you surround yourself with. And sometimes it's people you don't expect. Like, like you know, I have some close, close people in my life, but when I think about it, when I leave their presence, do I feel energized or drained? And it's hard, but I think it's a reality and it's a great way to, like you said, filter out and figure out how you can show up as your best self. Yeah. And I think what's really interesting there too, is that can change. Like that person as well can also grow and mature and change how they're showing up. So if you're hearing this and you're like, oh crap, my like my significant other is causing this draining feeling, there's still hope out there. Like it's not, it's not, none of us are in a stagnant position. That's what I think this show I love about it is we can all grow. We are all fluid and ever changing. So we take that mindset and approach, like even if someone close to you leaves you feeling drained, all right, they might need to do some work too, but like, don't lose out hope and say, all right, I need to cut them off forever. They're gone. Like they can grow. I'm so happy you said that because right. It can be kind of a harsh reality. And if it's your partner or your significant other, that can be really intense. And you're so right. It comes in ebbs and flows. And, you know, the name of my business is grow with Clo. And that word grow is so important. You know, you break off a branch and it grows back more vital and strong. And it's the same thing with these relationships that, you know, you can be in a different time of your life with one person and then you're realigned and it's stronger than ever. It's nothing is stagnant. It is always flowing, growing, all the things. I love it. And coming from your sports psych background now, it's like, that's music to your ears, right? Hearing that whole growth mindset piece. I've just been engaging in everything growth mindset, especially over the past year. I know, what have you done kind of to make sure that you yourself are continuously growing here now that we don't, It's because it's tough, right? There's no set curriculum anymore or structure that's like, hey, so like it's been four years since college and now you should be graduating again. It's like, yeah. no, <laughs> just go out on your own and figure it out. How are you keep it on track to make sure you're still moving forward? Yeah, that's a good question. And yeah, Dr. Carol Dweck, uh, Growth Mindset, such a great book. And I think anyone who's listening who hasn't read it, highly recommend. In terms of my own growth, I've recognized that the, the growth is believing in yourself, trusting the process and doing the things that you're scared to do. For me right now, it is hard because I am doing research and that's really uncomfortable for me. I don't necessarily love it. It's not something I can show to the world on Instagram Mm. and like merging academics and or academia in general with entrepreneurship is really difficult I'm finding. And so that's honestly probably the biggest growth point that I'm having right now and trying to navigate. And I don't know many people that do it. Like I see a lot of people that do it after they're established as an academic, but Mm. I'm in the process where I'm in entrepreneurship and in academia, and I'm trying to figure out how to do both and do it well. 
Yeah, I think that's a challenge. Do you find yourself leaning more towards one than the other? Like, do you find that you have to maybe for this month throw yourself a little bit more into you're getting your master's right now or doctorate? I finished my master's. I'm applying to doctorate programs. So it's it's weird, too, because I feel like there's this dichotomy where they kind of shit talk each other in a lot of ways. Mm. (laughs) We're like, oh, you don't need that to excel at this or that's all bullshit. You need to get, you need to hire your education. And so I'm really trying, it's hard when you have both in both your ears, you know, (laughs) most of my friends are entrepreneurs and I hear all that. And then I'm surrounded by academics and it's so different. So like I said, it's my, it's my growing point right now. And I'm happy I have a space to talk about it with you here. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's, it's definitely a unique position, right? Like it's almost two different hats. And like when you're in one crowd, you have to be like, hey, look, like, yeah, screw higher academics. Like that's a waste of time, waste of money. And then when you're in that other crowd, you're like, oh, that's such BS. Like, I can't believe people are building businesses without the proper backing behind them. And I don't know if there's a right answer, to be honest. Like I, I see both sides and I, I love the approach that you're kind of like dabbling in both and figuring it out because I, I really do think it's an and also i I come from the viewpoint that I don't think higher education should be the thing that stops you from starting, but it can be something that definitely elevates what you're doing. Like if I'd have no background in personal training, but I just worked out all the time and I just said, Hey, yeah, I'm going to start training some clients. Like, yeah, like that's a great place to start. But I saw your eyes get lit up there being the personal training background as well. It's like, I cringe at that as well. Like at some point, like you should probably start to get some continuing ed or more formalized ways of thinking. If nothing else, it expands the way that you are teaching and improves your product. And truthfully, like I'm trying to have some foresight on my business and my life and what's going to make me feel fulfilled. And I love mental performance and I love sitting down with an athlete and figuring out what's up. And especially with kids, you know, you can give them a tip and they absorb it, and they apply it, and they have the best scoring game of their life the next day. It's Mm. amazing. That being said, I know that I'm going to have a pit of time where I'm going to want to shift more. I mean, I already do want to shift more to mental health. And I just, I firmly, my motto is you have to be mentally healthy to perform well sustainably. Mm. So if mental health is my MO, I need I want to grow that now and get the education so I don't hit the ceiling and I'm like, mm, and I know I won't have the guts to go back if I have, you know, who knows if I have kids or whatever it is. So why yeah. don't I just take advantage of this moment so I can, you know, prepare. I was about to say, I mean, all, all we can control is what's going on right in front of us right in this moment. So you might as well capitalize it and, and make the most of it. And it sounds like you are. One of the things I want to touch on, you, you will circle back to it because you mentioned it when you started to shift to this place of surrounding yourself with the right people or rather the people that aligned with you and what you needed from a mental standpoint, way more your physical performance enhanced. I'm fascinated by that. What, what ways did that manifest for you? Yeah. So I think when we surround ourselves with people that aren't necessarily aligned or they drain us, it's actually causing our bodies physically some stress. So I would love for people to be aware of that when they're around certain people, their palms get sweaty, 
Is their heart beating faster? Like be physically aware of what's going on too, because that is signaling. And when we're stressed, you know, we rush, we want to get things over with. It just changes the whole cadence of life. And, you know, when I'm stressed or I feel a lot of pressure, we don't perform our best. You know, there was one study that they had a track coach had his athletes do go a hundred percent for an 800 meters. And then the next round, he had them go 90% and they actually ran faster at 90% because when you're completely stressed and tense, your body is not flowing. It's not working at its full capacity. Things are tight. So if you can get that little bit of relaxation and find that, that flow state, it's pretty epic. And I think it's the same thing with the social relationships you have. Like if you're completely, that was, that was contributing to my stress levels and how I performed. Mm. I wasn't in my complete natural habitat or, you know, I just wasn't feeling like my, I could be my true self. Yeah. I think, I mean, I'm thinking of your story and it's like, look, when you go to Duke, like there's this hefty, hefty expectations placed on you, not just from your family, but everyone in this small hometown. And I'm, I'm just imagining it as like, all right, like, I'm feeling that physical stress to perform. And when, uh, to your point, like when you go into those performances with that level of stress, odds are you don't live up to it. Like you're setting yourself up to fall a little bit short and that's okay. It's just messed. It's the system's flawed from the get-go in that situation. It's not a reflection on you as a, as an actual person or human. It's a reflection on the system. Yeah, I agree. And it was hard. I had this chip on my shoulder too, because, you know, I never thought I was talented. I thought I worked hard. You know, I think Mm. a a lot of athletes have that story like, oh, I just, I worked really hard. And I always kind of had that chip on my shoulder. And I felt like I was already acting like a college collegiate athlete when I was in high school. Like I was, you know, up at 5am running before my basketball practices in the evening. I was like so hyper-focused. I didn't really drink or, you know, I was very focused. Mm. And how is that sustainable, especially for a 15, 16, 17 year old? And I I think it can be detrimental if you don't, if you're not at least building that awareness about how focused you're being and what are the boundaries here? You know, I think if that conversation happened earlier, it would have been really helpful. Yeah. I love that point too. Like, this has come up on the show a couple of different times this balance of look like the hyper focus ability of elite level performers is something that definitely can play to their advantage in most scenarios but just like anything it can also lead to a lot of problems we see it manifest a lot of times in former athletes who become alcoholics after the fact because they need something to they just have that addictive outlet and now they're hyper-focused on drowning out the past. So finding that constructive thing, I think plays a huge role. What I'm fascinated about your physical feats, at least the most phenomenal one that I'm aware of, I'm sure you've done plenty more is doing the LA marathon. And then two days later, choosing to run LA to Vegas, like walk us through that. What was going on through your head of like, Oh yeah, I'm just going to, most people are content with the marathon. Why'd you add on to it afterwards? Yeah. And it was my first marathon. So I really didn't know what to expect. And I was, you know, I couldn't walk the next day. 
And then I was thinking, oh, I'm running to Vegas in a day now and I can't walk today. Like, how is this going to play out? For me, I think I, I love these physical challenges to kind of check myself that everything I preach and say is working. Mm. Truth is like, I, I talk a big talk and I say all these things like be mindful and do this. And I truly do everything I say. And I like to show that in my performance. I think it's important. And, you know, it comes in ebbs and flows like we were talking about. Like right now, I'm a little bit more focused on my work than I am on performing well. But I like to show people that I can turn it on and I practice what I preach. I think that's really important in a coach. Like you want someone you can trust and then you know they're doing what they're saying in a way. So that was, I think, part of it. And I love Ragnar's. I love running. I love... I, I don't know if you've seen this too, but I, I post a lot too about proving that you can be a strong distance runner. You know, I don't mm. look like a distance runner and that's been a huge challenge in my career. And I want to show people like you can 20 more pounds of muscle and still run fast for a long distance. Yeah. There's something about shattering someone's expectation around like what it's supposed to look like. And then like swimming was one of those <laughs> where I remember going behind the blocks with a lot of people and looking at the guy, I'm like, wow, that guy's a toothpick. He's so scrawny. Like, I'm going to crush him. And he would flat out embarrass me. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there was people that were absolutely ripped out of their mind. And I would crush them. And I was like, who's right? I don't, I don't freaking know here. <laughs> yes. It's layered. It's so layered, especially when, you know, sport relies on the body so heavily. So mm-hmm. if you're already having that pressure of to perform well and then adding all the female dynamics too. It's, it's intense. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, I mean, there's that added layer, right. Of, of body image and it, uh, unfortunately it's more prevalent in women's sports. Like it should look a certain way. And like, and if it doesn't, you feel like your world's absolutely shattered. Um, so I, that's what I love about what you're doing now is like, you're totally shaking up what that has to look like, what it gets to look like. And I think I love that approach more so than like, you have to be 115 and like stick thin to run a three hour marathon where it's like, well, why not be a badass who throws weight around, who also happens to be able to run a three hour marathon or whatever that time may look like you know what I mean I think there's room for both so it's what have you learned in in training for both because there and even in the training realm there's that preconception of like all right like you can't train for strength right now if you're training for marathon pacing like it just doesn't exist in the same space how have you found a way to to make them exist together they're definitely not mutually exclusive and I love sharing that with people uh I my gym in Santa Monica called AMP. They like some of the female athletes there would always tell me how they were excited to have me there and see me run because they saw me throw around weight too. And it was like a lot of CrossFit people don't think mm. of themselves as runners. So me looking more CrossFit and running more was like helpful for them. So I think a lot of times you have to see it to believe that you can do it. And I hope that people see me and they're like, okay, I'm 165 pounds and I can still run a fast marathon, you know, what helps me mentally is, okay, I'm running a 400 and I didn't just do snatches with a barbell. Like this is cake. Now I'm just running. 
So mentally, like remembering what that feels like, because a lot of times in those CrossFit workouts or even in high rocks or anything like that, you're throwing weight around and then running. So then mm. mentally really putting that in the mental suitcase and remembering what that feels like. And then knowing that you're light as a feather, you're fresh. That's something I use with a lot of athletes. Instead of saying you're low mileage, let's reframe that. You're fresh, you're fresh, you're fresh. Like, you know, people have this stigma. I have to be running 50, 70 miles a week. No, 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 no. Like you can be a lot more efficient, be throwing weight around, be light and fresh and crush it. Yeah. I mean, that, <laughs> I'm the perfect example of that. I just did a, a solo marathon myself here and about four weeks ahead of time had some ankle and hip misalignment stuff that forced me to go to see a physical therapist in the area. And he said, lay off of running. And I said, yeah, but I got this goal that I set. He goes, lay off of running. So I was like, all right, I'm going to trust it. And I just went into being smart about recovery, but also really strength focused. And I PR'd by 45 minutes in this solo race. And I was like, all right, well, that's crazy. Like, yes, it's, it really hurt and the back half of things because I didn't have the quote unquote training base that I thought I would need. Like I hadn't been above 15 miles in a year since the last time I did a marathon. So it was a lot of unknown, but I, I do think they can play a role if you're smart about the way that you're doing the conditioning and the, the programming and all that. Definitely. And what you're saying between the years, like we've talked about, and I'm sure you're diligent about that. Sounds like that's a huge feat, you know, 45 yeah. minute PR, miles a week. Sheesh. <laughs> so I say, hit me up for training programs. Let me, yeah. let me know. I can I'll just send you what I did. Just run uh, every so often when you feel like it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one of the things I love about kind of just your brand and just personality too, is there's a really good balance of, inviting creativity and expression into just everyday life while still having that loose structure. And I think that's like so key in these peak performance states, right? Like you don't need the perfect marathon training plan to go PR. It helps a little bit, but maybe it would be even better if you have that creativity and expression. Where does that come from for you? Do you have a, like an artistic creative side that you just like to express and it shows up in other ways as well? Yeah, I think it's huge. I love to write. And so I write a lot. I'm trying to write a book. It's fictional. So like very different, nothing to do with training or mindset or psychology. So I, I think it's so important. I, I've said this so many times, but to foster other parts of yourself and let those other things play a part into your athletic performance or performance as a father whatever it is they they're not mutually exclusive they all help each other but i i think the it's so hard like you said Corey, that balance when that structure is your life and you think it's like really dictating why you are successful let's reframe that and allow those times when your, someone, your partner's late to dinner and so your training session has to be cut short or something. Let's have some fun with that and just be flexible and take that as a sign that I need to chill out or flow with it. And it's so hard because, you know, when you're an elite athlete, you think your life depends on it and it just feels like it's the biggest stakeholder in your life. But I really challenge athletes to not take it so seriously and have some fun and recognize that that's actually probably their saving grace in the long run because it's not sustainable to be so rigid. 
I, I love that. I don't know if you're familiar with Ronnie Coleman, like in the bodybuilding side of things. There's a phenomenal Netflix documentary on him. And what just, it reminded me of a story of, he was going to Mr. Olympia and he definitely had the physique where he should have been winning, but he was just showing up so rigid that on performance day, like he was getting seventh and eighth place. And one year he just goes to one of the other competitors and goes like, what should I do? Like, I'm, I'm kind of at an ends here. And they actually gave him like two shots of alcohol. And just like, he was like, Ronnie, you just need to loosen up, man. Like you're just so tense all the time. And like little did this competitor know that he just sent Ronnie on this tear of like winning seven. I think it was seven Mr. Olympias in a row, like for seven years, he was the most, like the most fit bodybuilder in the world. And it was all this catalyst of like, Hey, just let loose a little bit. Like don't blow the, the roof off and let it all go, but take a little bit of that edge off and just be you. And it's amazing. The results that happen because of it. Yeah. How have you learned to go ahead? Yeah. I just want to say that really resonates with me as well. I wish someone would have given me a shot of alcohol before a track meet in college. Like I was so every track race was like my life depended on it. Everyone in the whole universe was watching. Like I put so much pressure and if I was just able to relax a little bit and loosen it, I think it would have made a world of a difference. So figuring out ways to do that, maybe not take a shot, but something <laughs> like it's, it's huge. It's huge. And yeah. I, I for me too, I would PR in practice. I would have like, I would be way like the girls that were beating me in races. I would be right with them beating them in practice, but I would never be able to perform come race day. And that's, that's one of the most frustrating, frustrating things in sport, right? Like when, you know, six out of seven days a week, you're right up there with them. But on the seventh day, the one where everyone else is watching, they're the ones getting the credit. I was kind of on the opposite end of things, thankfully. I trained hard, but definitely like come those big lights, I was like, all right, let's freaking go. Like no one, I don't care what your training record is. Like I'm going to turn it on here. I'd be curious. Go ahead. Can I ask you, what do you think mentally how that worked for you? Like, because if you're saying you would, you were able to turn it on come race day and Mm. I'm the opposite, I'm just wondering what your mindset was like like going into race day itself. Yeah. Like, because yeah. Yeah. For me, I always looked at the competition piece as an opportunity to just have fun and explore what I just worked for. And swimming and track are, are pretty similar where like there has to be a very large training base and followed by a taper before like that peak, peak, peak performance happens. And if we're lucky, it's twice a year, but most of the time it's once a year. So if you look at those once or twice a year moments as holy shit, I only like, this is my only shot this year to perform. And if I mess this up, I have to wait a whole nother year. (laughs) Guess what? Where's your focus? It's on not performing well. So your energy is going to go there and your performance will follow. But if you look at it as instead like, wow, this is so exciting. I just worked my ass off for nine months and I just tapered and I feel like freaking Superman when I taper 
And now I have this opportunity to show the world what I was just working towards. It becomes this expression, it becomes this release, and it just becomes almost, almost like you get rid of that writer's block, right? And it just flows out of you. And then you, I mean, we hear it all the time in flow state, right? You get to the other end of that performance and you're like, I can't tell you what happened. I blacked out, but all I know is like, I have something good to show from it. I think that mindset shift really helped me out. Yeah, it sounds like you were able to turn the pressure into pleasure. Mm -hmm. Just have fun with it. And I, that was something I wasn't able to do. It was always like, this is not fun. Why am I doing this? Everyone's watching. So that's, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Yeah, of course. It's fine. That's when I was coaching summer league swimming. Like I would always tell the kids that like, got, just go out there and have fun. And like some parents would overhear it and be like, that's your best advice to my kid pre-race. I'm like, oh, right? it's the that's only thing that's going to help them right in this moment. If I tell them focus on this, this, and this, they're just going to get in their own head. Like I need them out of their head. Now it's time for them to perform from here, from their heart, rather than from their mind. Like we need to find strategies to get out of our own way a little bit more. I love it for you. What has helped with rewriting old stories of expectations? Like, cause I think talking to you now, you've definitely had a major shift in that mindset approach more probably in alignment with what I shared. I don't want to speak for you, but like what has helped you rewrite to get to that point where you're at now? I think it comes down to values. So I think what I would suggest to anyone is really get clear on what your own values are. I think surrounding yourself with people that align with those values. And I think following your passion, it sounds so corny and cheesy, but it's going to allow you to be more aligned in everything, every other way you show up. And so Mm -hmm. even if it's really scary and people are like, how are you going to make a living doing that or whatever it is, you know, you're going to hear all this chatter, but if you can really tune into yourself and trust that, that's where the, that's where it becomes beautiful. I love that. I've, I've always said the, the more, you know, who you are and what you want, like the less outside things affect you. And I think we are all, like, I can say I'm living a good life if every day I get closer to understanding who I am and what I want. It's not a destination. It's just a journey throughout that process. You know what I mean? Totally. And I mean, I think like you touched on earlier in the relationships, also recognizing that we change as humans and what we Mm. wanted yesterday might not be what we want tomorrow, but let's have the self-awareness to know if we're running away because we're scared or we're running away because it's not aligned anymore. And that's something, you know, I, I struggle with still because every day, you know, this as an entrepreneur, the scary part is like, whoa, I can't believe sometimes you have these moments like, whoa, I can't believe this is what I'm doing. Um, I don't know if you do. I don't want to speak for you, but I have a thousand percent. That's where the real work is, is like working through that and getting, having self-awareness of where that, where that's coming from. Is it fear or are you uh, like, what is it? So. Definitely. Yeah. And I think it, it's a really under undervalued ability is to have that ability to recognize those things and just notice it. It doesn't, you don't have to take some drastic thing away from it, but just notice that like, Hey, look, it's a feeling, it's an emotion. And like, it's okay to be feeling this right now. I think there's this weird expectation around fear, right? Like you're fearing, feeling fearful right now. Like why understand that? Why? 
just notice it and like, let it run its course, do what it needs to do, and then move on to the next thing. Totally. And I think, you know, they have, they've done a lot of studies and it's so important to recognize and feel the emotion for, I think it's two minutes mm. and then move on, like really feel, cause otherwise they can manifest and show up other places if you just choose. So it's a matter of also recognizing this a time to just like, let it pass and notice it. Or is this something I need to feel right now and then move on? You know, it's a journey. There's no, and you know, it's different for everyone. What works. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that's an evolution, right? Because especially in athletics and sports in a microcosm, we've been told from an early age, like, just suck it up. Like, your back hurts right now, like, just power through it. Like, <laughs> but what if we choose to take two to three minutes and understand, like, what is my body trying to tell me? Like, am I overtraining right now? Maybe, maybe not. Like, do I need a rest day? Like, that's something that is so difficult, especially in life post-sport, is this like notion of like, it's okay to take a rest day. It's okay to take a mental health day. It's actually going to be the best thing for you in the long run. How do you find you've been able to manage kind of your energy level, maybe on a day-to-day basis, week-to-week, or just broader scale, so that you're you're taking those mental health days and those resets when you, your body's telling you to and like releasing from that expectation of like, I need to get work done right now. So sleep before everything. I choose sleep over food. Like I think it is the most important recovery tool. We don't talk about it enough. I mean, people are talking about it more, but it is they, everything, sleep. Two, for me, I recognize that I need one day completely off, no screens, none of it. Like I don't respond to texts. That is my reset. And I need that every single week. If I don't take that, even if I'm scheduling calls with friends, it does not fill my cup. I'm drained. Mm. So one day completely off from screens. Uh, And then the consistency in trying to take care of myself and fill myself correctly and having that balance. Like, again, not being too structured with that either and enjoying wine with friends too like having that balance is huge i think we don't talk enough about the social connection but it's it's such a huge part yeah and i think that's what's been such a challenge for a lot of people the past year right is that that social connection is missing i mean we were talking about this offline before we started recording like people now like it's not as enticing to say hey i got this crazy cool event on the weekend it's on zoom are you in because the weather's changing and we're fatigued. It's been a year of this. We're like, that sounds awesome. But like, is there any way we can actually meet in person for a cup of coffee and do so safely instead? Um, That's just something interesting to explore. Yeah. And actually now that you say that out loud, I have never thought about this, but there's a lot of quote unquote unhealthy people I know, but they have very vibrant social lives. Mm. And I do believe that is a huge indicator of health is your social network and how you, not a big one, but like close, valuable social network that you, that really like fills your cup. But I'm thinking about it. If those people have had that taken away during COVID, you know, I mean, I know it's like kind of a duh thing, but these people that were already kind of unhealthy in their lifestyles, I'm not talking about elite athletes or whatnot, but I'm thinking how that was a huge thing just a thought. Yeah. 
No, I mean, like anything, right? Like if we really identify with that being a part of who we are, Mm -hmm. then we're going to struggle when we can't do that anymore. Um, And one of the ways I'd be curious to get your take of how you shift out of that. One of the ways I like to think about it is I don't think any one thing that we do, but I think everything that we do should be an expression of who we are as a person. So like me being a swimmer doesn't define me, but it is an expression of myself as a person. And I think that kind of reframe can really help people get around this. Like, look, my social life and I could be a huge partier, but it doesn't define me. It's not the only thing who I am. It's just something that I enjoy doing. So when it's not there because of an external circumstance like a COVID or something else happens, there's less attachment to it of like, oh my gosh, I feel viscerally hurt that it's not there anymore. We can just say, okay, look, this is not available for X amount of time. It can come back. Yeah. I think the, the, your question was how, what's helped me get away from that. Mm-hmm truthfully it's being intentional with my words because i think the biggest challenge with that is if you hear enough Corey, you're such a good swimmer Corey, like you're you're the life of the party over and over you begin to believe that that's who you Mm. are and you forget about that this is just one expression of yourself and you know that's what happened to me over and over if people tell me that i'm just this one thing then i believe it and i don't and i think that's all i am so and people don't realize that they're doing that. They think they're giving you a compliment. If I said, Corey, you have the best blue eyes I've ever seen, that could be a compliment. But if you've always heard that and you think that your whole self-worth, they're like, if I had brown eyes, I would be nothing. That type of thing. You know, like you can really, so being intentional with what you say to people. And when you give someone a compliment, try to not make it external or just be aware of what you're saying to someone and yeah being intentional with your with your words they can you know that words are life and death i don't care what anyone says they are they are important yeah and i was about to say for those outside of the la bubble here like i used to laugh at it because i was outside of the bubble but people here all the time and be like you have such good energy mm. I'm like, what the f- does that mean like i don't understand and now i live here and i'm like Yo, that was the best thing you could have said to me. I appreciate you. You just made my day. Thank you so much. That's better than calling me beautiful or like complimenting the shirt that I'm wearing because that's something that is truly me. It radiates from the inside. And those non-LA people, you just have to come check it out. Like come experience it for yourself. I totally get that. Uh, Someone asked me the best comment. I was like, it's the energy comments that I would get in LA when people just recognize my energy and say that. And they don't say, oh, you have beautiful long blonde hair. They say, I like your energy. It's such a, it's such a different conversation. It's just a deeper level meaning to it. And it's crazy. The places you get it, you like, don't want to toot my own horn here, but like I was shopping the other day and like, I got it in J crew. Like, as I'm just like picking up clothes, they're like, I like your energy. I'm like, yes. I'm going to buy all of your clothes now. Thank you. Right? Like, thank you for, that was the best sales tactic you could have done. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I got five questions here for you. The fast five. So what they are, are one sentence or one word answers kind of rapid fire. Get okay. you going. All right. feel, no pressure. No expectations. Let's go for it. Let's get it. Number one, go to podcast that you listen to right now health coach radio nice 
Number two, favorite book in the past year that you've read? The Talent Code. Number three, quote you live by? Quality over quantity. Love it. One thing you can't live without? Sleep. Your one word focus at this point in time? Right with class. I must say that was the fastest five that we've had to date. So let's go. Let's go. Now expectations. Look what happens to that performance. I love it, Chloe. Where can people find more of you, your energy, everything that you're doing in this world? Yes. Growwithclo.com at growwithclo underscore on Instagram and all the things. It's growwithclo. And it's G-R-O-C-L-O. I love it. I love it. Chloe, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you. The energy that you hold, the way that you show up and the things that you're doing in this world is super impactful. So thank you. Can't wait to share this one. Yeah, it's mutual. Thank you so much, Corey. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Appreciate you taking the time to listen today. I love Chloe's ethos and her mentality that there really is no limit to how much we can grow. Share this episode with a friend, a family member, or teammate who could benefit from hearing Chloe's message. Remember, we all grow more together. Remember, if you can change your mindset, you can change your life. One thought followed by one action at a time. I will see you all on Monday. Thank you.